and I'm David, and this is Passports and Birth Control, a couple's take on international travel. So today we're going to be talking about Brussels, which is the capital city of the European Union. It's kind of the equivalent of Washington, D.C. for us Americans, but the European Union is kind of a confederacy, less so than a truly federal nation. And so the EU exercises some authority over its member states like Poland, France, Germany, but it doesn't have strict authority in the same way that Washington, D.C. has. And so we really wanted to go to, to, to Belgium, and it happens to be extremely close to Paris, where we were when we left off. So we took a fast train from Paris straight to downtown Brussels. Now, this is extremely easy to do. Passenger freight in the continent of Europe, at least in Western Europe, is extremely easy and very comfortable, very relaxing, very nice, and very affordable. Unlike the United States, where unless you're in the Upper East Coast, passenger freight or passenger trains is just not a thing you can do. In Europe, it is common, it's accessible, I highly recommend doing this. I don't recommend using a car. You can fly from Paris to, to, to Brussels. You can fly to Brussels from pretty much anywhere. But taking a train in continental Europe, especially Western Europe, is the thing to do. It's a more affordable option as well. Yeah, and I like it because you get go from downtown Paris to downtown Brussels, and you're just there. You don't have to worry about getting to and from an airport, which I find annoying. And exhausting. Like, so I hate, and you have to go through... Uh, you have to go through security. Now, normally you don't have to go through security for a train, but this was an extremely fast train, and it was going to Brussels. And so, therefore, this particular brand of train requires you to at least go through a metal detector, which is still pretty freaking painless compared to what you do at even a European uh, air airport. No taking your shoes off. No taking your shoes off. You go through a metal detector. They do do an x-ray of your luggage, but then you get on the train and in, like, what was it, 45 minutes? If it was that. nothing to get from downtown Paris to downtown Brussels. Now, the security situation is understandable because when we booked our flights, the day we booked our air tickets from Missouri to Europe for this big summer-long trip, there was a terrorist attack in downtown Brussels. Um, an Islamic militant did a suicide bombing in a subway station and killed a lot of people, and the city was really on edge because of this, understandably so. And, well, it was an unfortunate timing that we went ahead and bought our plane tickets that day. You know, a couple of people asked us, are you sure you want to go to Europe now? And, uh, well, we encountered a handful of issues when we were there. No terrorism-related issues. We, we dodged you that. We to episode on Istanbul. If you want to hear about our uh, issues with the political uncertainty in 2016, you can refer back to our Istanbul episode where we experienced a coup. Uh, however, there this was just, okay, well, terrorism is just a risk that you just have to deal with. And thankfully, I don't think it's as much of a deal anymore. There are certainly other issues in Europe. Oh, certainly. There's certainly other issues that you have to worry about, but the threat of terrorism seems to have depleted, and part of it is through the little bit of good security measures that the Belgian government, that the EU government has put in place, basic stuff. But when we got to Brussels, it was a bit of a shocker because you usually don't get off a train and there are soldiers everywhere. There were soldiers, and I'm not talking about like police officers. I'm talking about 
army guys with assault rifles and jeeps and and, and and trucks that carry the soldiers around. Now, you probably won't see this right now. There was a very recent terrorist attack when we saw this. Right. There hasn't been one, so you're probably not going to see the exact same thing we saw. Okay, so enough of the background information. Let's get to downtown Brussels. So we were going to stay with my sister. My sister actually lives in Brussels, so it's a two-part win for us. We wanted to see my sister, and we wanted to see the city that she lives in. That said, Airbnbs and hostels are readily available and cheap in Brussels. It is a downtown hub. It's a metropolitan city. It's an international hub. It's very easy and affordable to stay in all sorts of myriad accommodations. The free status of being able to bunk in my sister's, uh, you know, upstairs portion of her of her apartment was certainly ideal for us. Yeah, we we had to stay in a sort of an attic type place with a big skylight. It was quite comfortable and quite nice. Uh, and but, but you can easily find Airbnbs, easily find hostels. The city has plenty of options. Right now, one of the things that you definitely want to experience while you're in Brussels or any part of Belgium, is their beer. Now, Belgium beer is world famous for a very well-deserved reason. Most of it is brewed in monasteries, where they've been brewing beer for centuries, some over 500 years. And over the course of these centuries, they have mastered their technique. Now, one of the beers, uh, best beers that David and I have ever had came from this specific monastery where they only brew it under a full moon. I mean, it's a very rare beer. You have to enter a lottery even to get your hands on this It's like stuff. a wizard witchcraft thing. Like, under a full moon, the monks brew the beer. But as magical as it sounds, I mean, they must do some sort of weird alchemy to it. It is brilliant. Now, David's sister entered a lottery and got this beer and happened to have it while we were there visiting. So we got to drink this 19% alcohol beer. Now, when you hear 19% alcohol beer, you're thinking this is going to be almost undrinkable. But it was so smooth and so flavorful and so dangerous because it did not taste 19%. That's the strange alchemy of these monks is you can taste even a 12% beer and you're like, oh, this is kind of alcoholic tasting. But this one just tasted just absolutely brilliant. No burn at all. Yeah, no burn. None of that weird astringent taste that some of these heavier beers can have. Just so much malt and yeast. How do you make a near 20% beer that tastes refreshing? And it it was. It was this amazing... Again, the most amazing beer we've ever tasted. And that's just the thing about Belgian beer. They don't really have a bar scene because Belgian people don't really drink for drinking's sake. They eat and they drink and they pair. They certainly drink a lot. Oh, they do drink a lot, but they also (laughs) eat a lot and they enjoy a lot. And so you're not going to find bars where you're going to find our beer gardens. And these are sort of a restaurant, outdoor space where you get food, you get beer, they have these wonderful patios, you sit, you eat, you drink, and it's amazing. Seek out the beer garden. One of the things that we learned with having a relative who lives there is we got a a little bit of a brief uh, exposure to what the culture is, and she says it's abhorrent for a Belgian person to drink without having food present, (laughs) however small amount it might be. It might be fruits, it might be pretzels, it might just be a little bowl of popcorn. Yeah. But there's food. So speaking of beer, one of the first things we did when we got there, and we 
reconnected with uh, my sister and got all, all established is she lived near a big park area right in the middle of downtown there are a lot of parks in brussels brussels has many many very rich parks that are both for you know playing soccer or in, in in you know having kids run around but also just beautiful flower gardens and beautiful green spaces and so when we were there they happened to have a sort of food and beer festival going on at this park and we went around and we had to we got to taste a bunch of variety of different things and one of the things that was sp particularly special is in addition to these monks that make these witchcraft alchemy type brews you have a vibrant local craft beer scene. And because Belgium is known for beers, the stakes are high. The, the expectations are high. And these brewers bring it. I mean, they showed up with some sour beers. And I had to be in a particular mood usually to like a sour beer that sort of, you know, lemon, lime. It's a very kind of... hot weather drink. It's not one you want when it's cold or cool. It's when you're hot and you're sweating to death. You want a sour beer to refresh you. Right. So we were at this garden, this park festival with lots of different food, lots of really good ice cream, lots of really good beers to sample. And, and I tried the best sour beer I've ever had while I was there. And these festivals happen all the time. So as you're getting ready to book your trip, do a little research, find out what festivals might be happening, and then you can kind of arrange your schedule around one of these festivals. Belgium loves its beer, it loves its food, and it likes to do it in a community atmosphere. And so you see a lot of these festivals of a variety of types, from arts festivals to specific types of food festivals to just, just community and holiday gatherings. It seems like my sister-in-law is telling us about a new one every other week. So one of the things that we did after, you know, getting settled in a little bit is we wanted to just be tourists a little bit. So we let loose into the city. Now you might have been thinking, well, why aren't you getting to the downtown? Why aren't you getting to the architecture yet? Well, okay, here, we'll finally get there. We wandered around downtown uh, Brussels, and there's kind of two parts of downtown Brussels. There's the metropolitan, brand new one with the big skyscrapers. The very modern. Very part. glass front and steel framed, and, and that's what the EU headquarters looks like. You can see it. It looks nothing like the sort of Renaissance, Romanesque, uh, Washington, D.C. style that we use. It is very 21st century looking, very glass and steel, and that says EU on the side, and it's got that blue field with, with, with the yellow stars around it, and it's like that's where the, the center of power is for Europe, or at least for the EU. And so you can walk around and see that, but then not far away from that, you can see some of the old world of Brussels, because Brussels has a lot of history the to it. The part that's still stone and ancient and almost medieval. Right. And so you not far from it, it's not right next to it, but a little bit of a distance. You can walk it easily, but Brussels is not the most walk-friendly city in the world. But, but it's not as bad as some American cities for most walking. Most definitely. And they actually have a fantastic subway. So you can take the subway or you can walk. I don't recommend taking a car and the bus, whatever. I like the subway. It's It reminds me a lot of London in that regard. Very big, very wide, but great public transportation, very walkable with that. So we wandered around to the Royal Palace. Belgium still has a king and queen, and so we got to see where they live. We couldn't go inside. They're, they do some tours, I'm told, but we went a little bit around the corner from there to the square, which is probably what you're thinking of if you think of old world Brussels. Right. This is called the Grand Place. Now, this has one of, or rather near to this, is one of Brussels' most famous icons, the mannequin 
or the peen boy of Brussels. You know this statue just from the description. It's a little guy standing there peeing happily into a fountain. And they dressed this thing up for every occasion you could think of. The day we saw him, he was dressed up in Swiss garb. Right, they were doing a pray, celebrating the different European states, and it happened to be Switzerland's turn, so he was dressed up like a little Swiss boy. Yep, he, it was very cute. We got some great photos of it. Now, also near this very, very famous statue are all these beautiful old buildings. The square itself goes back a pretty long way, and so it shows, and it's beautiful. So definitely check out, check out the architecture there. There are churches nearby. Now, these churches are huge and grandiose and just awe-inspiring on the outside. But then you go in, and it's kind of meh. Yeah, there's but, one right by the, the square that's this huge block of white stone. You're like, oh my gosh, we got to go in there. It gleams. And it's it's like blinding. And then you get in there, and eh. It's a church. Yeah, it's, it's a church. It, it is a church. It is an active place of worship. You know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Be respectful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a neat place to go to. And the one thing that we did I wouldn't recommend is, you know, we're in that downtown area. We're looking at all the buildings and we see in off in the distance a huge brick dome. And we're like, what is that? It looks like a church. Let's go there. So we sought it out. We went there. I wouldn't recommend it. It's a church. It's brilliant. It's huge. And it's made out of brick. Very industrial looking, but quite plain on the inside. It's neat enough to look at on the outside, but it's so far away and so hard to get to. Really wasn't worth it, but it was still neat enough. And the other thing that was something that I really wanted to seek out, but in the end I don't know if it was worth it or not, was Leopold's Palace. Now, Brussels has a problematic history of colonialism. Belgium essentially took over Congo in the Central Africa and ran it a really, really bad way. Let's be fair. A lot of Europe has a bit of a problematic colonial history. The United States has a problematic colonial history. And oh, so no one's immune it. from this. Uh, but I had done some research on uh, Leopold, King Leopold, a very good book called King Leopold's Ghost. I highly recommend it, which chronicled what he had done personally. He was different uh, in in Belgium compared to other different European states where King Leopold personally owned this colony. It wasn't a British colony. It wasn't a German colony. Those were states colonies. This was his colony. And so he used all these resources running a horrible colonial enterprise, just killing thousands of people and it, it exploiting the Congo for all of its wealth and just a horrible administration. But he built this palace out of it. And I thought, okay, well, we've got to see this problematic building. It's, it's you know, yes, he was an evil man, but What's his legacy? What are people thinking about? Is the state acknowledging its problematic history? It seems to me that they do. Yeah. At the very least, the culture does. It was a very good opportunity because the EU is trying to reconcile its colonial history with all the wealth that it got from these colonies. And specifically Brussels, being the headquarters of the EU, is really leading this charge. So I thought, okay, well, are they putting their money where their mouth is? So we went and we we, we, we had to find Leopold's palace because... It's not really on a map. You had to find it. We, we, we looked it up on Google. We, we searched it out. And when we finally found it, it's at the edge of a park, which took a long time to navigate. It was quite pleasant. It was a great park to go in. We found this palace, and it's barred in the front. And there's scaffolding out. So we're about 100 yards away, and we can barely see this big building under construction. We're like, oh, we can't go in. Oh, oh, well. I mean, imagine that you go into Buckingham Palace... And Buckingham Palace is sort of built on the ruins of 
you know, a lot of dead people from their colonial enterprises. And they're not, but, they're, you know, the British aren't really, they're kind of pretending that it's not. Leopold's palace is, you can't avoid the, the problematic history of it, but no one's let allowed in. Now, granted, I, this was in 2016. That scaffolding may no longer be there. It might be open to the public now. Check on the museum status of it. They're trying to turn it into a museum, but it's a bit of an embarrassment. You've got this rich thing that this guy in about 100 years ago built, and eh, yeah, well... And and always do your research. Always do your research. One of the things that we also did around that square, back going back to the medieval square, is you can have an opportunity to try some great fruit, food around there. But here's the thing. The square is a bit touristy. There's a lot of restaurants around there, but... You know, having an insider who lived there, we were told, don't eat near the square. It's just touristy. Go a little bit further afield, though, just a couple of streets over, and you can find plenty of restaurant options. So we did. The other thing we found in that area that Belgium is known for is Belgian chocolate. Oh, my gosh. Every other building was a chocolate store in the right near the square, and they'll do weird things with chocolate. And their chocolate is as famous as its beer for a very good reason. It's amazing. Right. So you've got, like, sculpture. We saw a mannequin made out of chocolate. We saw a hot air balloon, a little one, <laughs> made out of Not chocolate. A one. We saw elephants made out of, again, little ones. We saw all sorts of sculptures, but it's not just the weirdness of the chocolate. It is the taste of the chocolate. The quality. You could go around Belgium and just tasting a variety of chocolates. And there is certainly a competition, just like with breweries, of who makes the best chocolate. Who makes the best beer? Who makes the best chocolate? A lot of competition for that. But you're the victor in that. You're the winner in that because there's really not a bad one. You go around and sample them all and enjoy it. There's plenty of options. So the last thing we did when we were in Brussels itself is we went to a couple of museums. Now, it was difficult for us to find them. Uh, we found an aircraft museum, which was quite interesting. had a lot of stuff on World War One. Belgium was quickly taken over by the Germans. They put up a stiff resistance in World War One, so they're pretty proud of that. But because Belgium was occupied for the majority of World War One and World War Two, there's not a lot of history there in that regard. They were freed in the later part of World War Two, And so it's it's a... They're not really excited to talk about that sort of stuff. Military history isn't something that Belgium is really... I mean, they've got their war of independence that they fought against Spain. But their primary source of pride is their diplomacy, is their ability to be the head of the EU, to be able to run Europe in a peaceful manner, not in a warlike manner. So museums, there's certainly art museums you can go to. Uh, there's a variety of other history museums. But really, Brussels is a place to be. It's not a place to go to museums. Right. Or at least that's my favorite part of it. There, there are museums there you can go to, but I would much rather spend it, my time hanging out in parks, drinking beer. And eating chocolate. <laughs> and eating and chocolate. Frites. And frites. Oh, gosh, frites. frites. So you've probably heard of the word French fries. But, they are not French. But the Belgians do speak French. And so this is where the name came from. The Belgians claim they invented French fries, but they speak French. And as good as the frites were that we had in Brussels, I can't blame them for taking credit. Yeah, well, they, they, the thing that they do that not a lot of places do is they'll have stands, French fry stands, frites stands is what they call them. Just carts where you can go buy them off the street, 
eat them piping hot and steaming. You get a little cone paper thing that's just full of frites and a little sauce packet, and that's the key thing. It's a variety of sauces. My favorite was the curry ketchup. Oh, how can you not love the curry ketchup? But actually, they don't use a lot of ketchup. They do like a curry mayo. Mayo is way mayo more is common. Mayo is huge. Way, mayo is way more common than ketchup. But these frites, they're thick cut. They're soft and fluffy on the middle. And they're crunchy and crispy on the outside. And, and they are so good. Piping hot. Having one of those walking around a beautiful park and having a beer. That's, that's the thing to do in Brussels. You cannot beat that. said we did kind of run out of things to do in Brussels so we took a train to Ghent. Ghent is a small place not too far away from from Brussels. Again trains super easy and convenient T took no effort at all just hop on it we showed up at the train station got a ticket off we went. Right now in Ghent you have these wonderful old buildings it is such a picturesque little town. Very big contrast to Brussels. Very big contrast. You have this wonderful cathedral it is absolutely beautiful. I would say nicer than the ones we saw in Brussels itself. Yeah, I, I think that that's true because this Ghent was once the capital of medieval Belgium, or at least the territory that was Belgium. It wasn't Belgian back then. It was, it was a different state, but it was, Ghent was a capital city of a sort of a medieval state, city. medieval kingdom. Yeah. And so the, they have much more of the medieval style churches rather than the more modern churches that you see in Brussels. Including this cathedral, which had the Adoration of the Lamb. This is a particularly famous altarpiece. You do have to pay a little extra to get in to see it. Absolutely worth it. It is beautiful and breathtaking and so well done and so well preserved. It's huge. It takes up an entire wall and you can just see all the different details. And the center feature, of course, is this lamb that is a metaphor for Jesus. And it's just Every little detail is sprawled out. It is a masterwork of art. Right. And the plaque on it dates it to 1432, so it is not exactly a young piece. So this altarpiece is absolutely worth paying a little bit of extra to see it. Now also there's the Church of the Golden Drock. Now you'll recognize this Golden Drock, or Golden Dragon, from the beer Golden Drock which has this dragon as its logo. Now this is another old church, another one you can go into. Again, these are churches, be respectful. Now the thing about the Church of the Golden Drock, there's this staircase and it's very narrow, very steep. It spirals in a very tight corkscrew. But if you go up this staircase, you can go to the very top of this cathedral, see the Golden Drock up close and see the view of Ghent. And that is breathtaking. You know me, I'm scared of heights. I don't like heights. I don't do heights. This was worth the fear of heights. It's a bit different because you're in this cathedral that is way taller than anything else in the town. Very low medieval type town. And you get up there and the golden drock is this brilliant looking logo on this beer that we were familiar with. But when you get up there, it's a big wind vane is what it really is. It's on. It's, it caps the bell tower of this cathedral and it's this big golden Kind of ugly looking, angry dragging. <laughs> that's it does there. not look friendly. But it was worth it to climb up there and just to feel just a different type of feeling. You're not as high as you would be on other observation points or big buildings, but because everything around you is so low, it's really quite picturesque. That's absolutely worth the view. It's breathtaking. Now, in my mind, the centerpiece of Ghent is the castle. This is a very medieval castle. On one side, it bumps up against the town. On the other side, it bumps up against its body of water. 
very picturesque, very beautiful. And again, very medieval. Everything inside is kind of small and cloistered, and you have these arches. Unlike a lot of castles, it wasn't expanded upon in like the 19th century or whatever to be you know, resistant to gunpowder. They didn't really need this fortress anymore after a while, so it stayed in its medieval state. It wasn't really updated. Right, which is, again, kind of unusual, but wonderfully unique to see. And re- well-preserved. I mean, Incredibly. they didn't, not only did they not update it, but it's in good condition, which is both th- those things are rare. Right, which makes this place really an amazing sight and uh, cannot miss, in my opinion, when you're in Belgium. Now, going back again to the centerpiece and the pride of Belgium, the beer. There are, are of course, amazing breweries in Ghent, and so we spent probably more time than we should have <laughs> while we were there in breweries tasting this wonderful Belgium beer. There are some mon- monastic breweries nearby. However, in Ghent itself, there were many craft breweries of a variety of types you know we walked into one that was almost looked like it was still in construction and we sat at some coil of tables that that we just sat they're like hey come sit down we just finished this and we got to try some really nice experimental beers and that's what great what's great about brussels and belgium in general is many breweries and maybe like german breweries and other traditional beer places they're great at the old stuff the traditional stuff but they're not really good at innovation. And Belgium is fantastic about marrying the traditional and the ancient and the way it's always been done with the new and the experimental and the modern. And it's this marriage of two timelines that makes Belgium just this wonderful place to be. So we've talked a lot about food. We have. (laughs) What was your favorite food? The frites. You know me, I love potatoes. And these frites are to die for. Yeah. You know, I have to disagree. Personally, I like. I had a few French fries. I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> frites are fine. But one of the things that we got to do is because my brother-in-law is actually a quite good cook, he went around to some local areas and he got us what he called some traditional local fare. And he got us these little sausages and made a dish out of them. That Those was, sausages were amazing. Oh my gosh. He made a dinner. So so the dinner we had at my sister's house with those little sausages was <laughs> even, it was a home-cooked meal. That was one of the few times we had a good home-cooked meal made for us in uh, our, our trip through Europe. And, and you can do this. If you go to these local shops, you get these sausages, you get these ingredients, the local ingredients. You get an Airbnb in a hostel that has a kitchen. Voila, cook yourself up up a little Belgian dinner. Yeah, go get some sausages, go get some cheese, go get some wine. Some bread. Or some beer. You know, there is a wide variety available whether you want to cook or whether you want to go to a restaurant. So, what was your favorite drink then? I would have to say the Golden Rock beer we had in Ghent. Yes. (laughs) I mean, this wonderful, malty, yeasty beer that just is unlike other beers you can find most places. Yeah, you can get it in the United States. That's what makes it fascinating. You can. I think it did taste better over there. Absolutely. Just like Guinness, you know. It's closer to home. It's happier. Now, I love Golden Drock. I love the traditional Belgian beers, but, you know, I can get those here. I, I can even get the monastic ones. And so, while they are probably the best beers in the world, I think just the singular experience that really jumps out to me was that sour I had at the park. The contemporary craft beer, the innovative new craft beer that was a sour that I had at the park, that experience was worthwhile because while we didn't, while we got to try plenty of Belgian monastic beers, 
we never really went to a monastery, and that's not really a thing. You don't really go to the monastery to drink. You, you're in Brussels. There's These monasteries aren't in Brussels. Well, the monasteries are exactly that, monasteries. These yeah. are monks living out their religious order. And they make money by selling beer. That's right. how they maintain their facilities. So they don't really want you to come out there. You can. They're, they've embraced sort of the tourist vibe of it. But if you're in Brussels, you want to drink a Brussels-made beer. And I really appreciated this sour on a nice sunny day in a park. Oh, unforgettable experience. Absolutely. Now, personally, for me, my favorite thing overall in Brussels was just walking the streets eating frites, drinking beer, wandering the city, roaming freely. Yeah, and I can't disagree with that. I think that the Brussels is not a place that I would necessarily say, you got to go see this. You got to go do this. But I would say go to Brussels. and Eat, drink, meander. Yeah, it's not a city where you go to do something. It's a city where you go to be. And even the square, probably the most famous, the grand place, you don't really do anything when you're there. It's just a bunch of buildings that looked pretty. You can walk around and see them. And that's the thing is you walk around and you see these pretty buildings, but then you go eat and then you go have a beer and then you go have some frites and then you go have some waffles. We didn't even talk much about the waffles. Oh, the waffles. The Belgian waffles. So you got waffle stands next to frites stands next to chocolate makers. I mean, it is just... With breweries and (laughs) beer gardens amidst it all. You'll never run out of things to eat. You might run out of things to do in Bring Brussels. Bring your walking shoes. You will want to walk off, You'll walk off everything. Those, <laughs> walk off those calories. <laughs> so Brussels is a great place to be, but don't feel like you need to have such an activity-oriented itinerary. This is a great place to relax. Yeah, and it was a nice break between the really fast pace of Paris where you never run out of things to do and... A lot of the places we've been to where we felt like we never we, we had a list of things to do when we were going to run out. Brussels, we had a very short list, and then we re- even ran out. Ran we, we still had more time, and we didn't have anything to do, but that's okay because the best thing to do in Brussels is to just be in Brussels. Right. Now, I mentioned the Golden Drock beer. Now, this is a beer you can get here in the United States. You can occasionally find it on draft. If you can, get it. If you can, you can find it in bottles at most high-end beer stores. Now, the thing about Belgium beer, you don't want to drink it out of a pint glass. You want to drink it out of a chalice. Now, a chalice is basically a bowl on a stem. It has a very wide base, a very wide mouth, and you want that wide open cup because you want to get a nice full mouth and a nice open nose of that bouquet because the flavor of Belgium beer comes from the malt and the yeast. The yeast in Belgian beer is king. Most beers are made with strictly controlled conditions and strictly controlled yeast. Now, because Belgium has such a long beer history, they've spent centuries perfecting the art of wild yeast. So they have these bar or barns and these storage areas that are sort of open to the air. Now, Belgium's kind of a wet, damp climate, so yeast just grows naturally everywhere. It infuses the air. And so they leave these open beers to ferment, collecting this wild yeast. And because they've been doing it so long, they've perfected the art form of, despite using wild yeast, controlling it to get exactly the kind of beer they want. And so if you want to really appreciate these Belgian beers, you want this wide open mouth chalice. So as you take your nice big mouthful of beer, get a nice full nose of that bouquet. 
So you get that full yeastiness because that's the magic of Belgian beer. Now again, what I'm recommending is Golden Drock. If you want it in a chalice, you can find it at most good beer stores. You can occasionally find it on draft. When you find it, get it. Nice full mouth, nice full nose. Enjoy. Oh, now we need to go get some Golden Drock. <laughs> you can. I can soon when the baby comes. Yes. So this has been Passports and Birth Control. Don't forget your passport. Don't forget your birth control. Like Passports and Birth Control? Give us a review and follow us on Instagram. Tell us in the comments where you'd like us to go next and support us on Patreon. Your support will send us more places and help us create more episodes.